0: This is ryan chapman's fix your funnel and to, in today's interview i'm privileged to have a legend in arizona that's chuck troutman he's the leader of the a marketing group up in phoenix what do you call the marketing group it's the arizona marketing
1: association and
0: right. our yep yeah perfect and i've had the privilege of attending and it is a great meeting if you are located in arizona you want to find a way to make it to this meeting what what's the domain just so we get that real quick Uh, uh, Marketing
1: arizonamarketingassociation.org it's a lot of typing but arizonamarketingassociation.org
0: well i will say it's worth the typing because it's just a, a quality group i found so much value in attending meetings like the one that you put on just because you get exposed to new ideas that you know you may not have considered or you've heard before but have forgotten to implement And the people there are just good people. They're working hard on their business, and they have unique experiences and stories to tell. And there's a lot to be gained from networking and associating with the group. So I'm really impressed and excited about what Chuck has been doing in Arizona. Well, thank you, Ryan. I appreciate the, the testimonial there. We uh, t- t- To try to
1: provide great content like you spoke and gave great content to my group and the people there are all business people and sometimes entrepreneurs just need to get away from their own
0: or cave
1: or whatever they call it and get out there, you know, and meet other people. So
0: <laughs> so now you haven't always been the leader of the Arizona Marketing Association.
1: No, What's I'm What's your a- story?
0: How did you get to where you are? <laughs>
1: I'm a you know I'm a, a an, an older gentleman by uh, by your standards Ryan I'm uh, I I always say that I that I started uh, my my business career when I was in the Marine Corps. I was a, a four-year Marine, not retired uh, Marine Sergeant Vietnam vet, but I always bring that up because it shaped who I became as life went on as far as self-discipline and leadership and, and all of those things. So mm-hmm. I worked in corporate America for five years with a Gates rubber company. It was a great job to, get, to learn about business and learn about people, but I knew that's not what I wanted to do. And I had my largest customer in Eugene Orient and uh, uh, want me to get in and buy an auto parts store and buy from them. And I said, gee, that's great. I'd love to do that. I th- was calling on auto parts stores and thought I was smarter than most of the guys I was calling them. I said, I just don't have the money to do that. And they said, hey, no problem. You put up five grand, and we'll guarantee loans and help you get finance and all of that, which was uh uh, tremendous. So I had a sleepy little auto parts store I bought in Eugene. In 1976, it was doing like 341000 In two years, wow. I added over to 900000 in wow. the annual sales and said, hey, you know, I got a little knack for this stuff. So we added a couple more stores and were successful and the opportunity came up to buy that supplier who financed me in. I'd already... Paid uh, them back and uh, did a leverage buyout with a very expensive money, which was probably broke when I took it over, but I didn't know it, therefore I was successful, you know, sometimes yeah. what you don't know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's the truth.
1: <laughs> it's good for you. So um, that business was doing about twelve million dollars a year when uh, when I bought it, and I grew that one to twenty-five million. And uh, it was a Carquest distribution center at that time. We had changed it from bumper to bumper as the brand. We flew to Carquest, and the largest Carquest member wanted to buy it. And I said, "Well." Well, Temple is not really for sale, and he said, uh, we don't know what I'm going to offer. Well, he offered more than what I thought it was worth, so that was a good time to sell. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, then I uh, started a golf equipment business from scratch, a retail golf equipment business from scratch, and I'd planned on being, you know, not working all that hard, just having this fun little business, but being a type A and being competitive. I decided I wanted to, to dominate the Portland market, so uh, we grew to six stores and uh, grew that from zero to ten million dollars in in sales, and um, and then sold that and. Thought I should maybe retire, even though it would have been a young retiree, but being very, very bored uh, with that life after a short yeah, period you, of time. Yeah, you
0: could never retire, Chuck.
1: Well, I can't. I mean, I've, no. that's, what I, that's what I figured out that second time there, that I, that I can't. Uh, you got to be in the game. you got to keep the brain working. so uh, I uh, was contacted by Glazier Kennedy to, about uh, taking over their independent business advisor uh, position which you buy, it's an area exclusive, and I was intrigued. And uh, I'd done a little consulting at that time, so I I, I, I bought that, and uh, uh, that started where I am now with the Arizona Marketing Association. I still am the Glazer Kennedy Independent Business Advisor for for Phoenix. It's really there's nobody else in Arizona, so I guess you could say Arizona, but Arizona, it's really yeah. for yeah. But but it's really really Phoenix, and uh, uh, I, I've levered that into my own thing with the Arizona Marketing Association because I think there's a tremendous need for marketing and business education for small businesses. My personal belief and I Absolutely. guess what my you know my why is right now is I think this country was built by entrepreneurs like you and I it became great like uh, f- from that and we've kinda lost that and if we can regrow the small business community to what it should be the jobs created would create income for tax dollars and the entrepreneurs paying taxes and all of a sudden we aren't dependent on the government we're self-sufficient and uh, and the country is great too so that's the that's what drives me I
0: guess right Man, now. I couldn't have said it better Chuck I mean I agree hundred percent with everything you said, which I know is always entertaining for a podcast, but you know that I think the reality is you know you nailed it and I feel much the same way I've always had a very strong feeling about the contribution that the entrepreneur entrepreneur makes um, for many years i've I failed. Miserably, you know, if it, if my story is is not one that you know it sounds as smooth as yours was, and I'm sure yours had rocky points. To Lots just, of rocky points. I didn't tell those parts of the story. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, if it had not been for somebody like you that was uh, running a chapter in uh, Southern California, that was Travis Tolstrup, uh, my story would be very different today. And so that's why I'm such a a big fan and a big proponent of things like what you're doing with the the Arizona Marketing Association, because uh, as a small business owner, you know, you might have a lot of skills, but you're definitely missing something because that's just what it means to be an entrepreneur. We're missing something. You need to fill that somehow. And I think one of the fundamentals that we all have to have under our belt is a good marketing education. Because ultimately, that's what drives, you know, the ability for us to make any business successful. A lot of my failed businesses, Chuck, at the beginning, were great from an operational standpoint, you know, we knew exactly what our numbers were, we could provide something that the client and customers were very happy with, but we couldn't put enough customers in the front door, so it didn't matter. And I see that happen so many times. Great quality businesses, people who really care about their customer, really doing the very best that they can, providing a quality product, but they can't market it. And so the business ends up dying, and nobody benefits when that happens.
1: Well, well, you're exactly right. And, you know, we as entrepreneurs need to understand that we can't do everything and figure out ways to outsource, to to fill in the gaps of, of things that aren't our strong suit and figure out a way to work on our strong suit. You know, why should a, a good entrepreneur be doing $10 an hour work when they can outsource that and do the things they're really good at?
0: Well, that, you know, your story raised a lot of questions in my mind. I hope you don't mind me asking a few questions on that. But the first question I have is, and I'm not going to let you tell me if you're, you do my. <laughs> I don't mind. I'm an open book. Yeah, I know that. Uh, the, the first question I have is, you know, to that point, you obviously didn't do it all by yourself. You had to have quite a team in order for you to build those businesses up. How did you get out of your own way? well uh... it was hard
1: uh... because first of all you are you want to control everything and uh... Uh, You know, I wasn't leading a great lifestyle when I was in that first auto parts store. I was probably working 70 to 80 hours a week. Uh, That was back in the days when most of us smoked and I smoked and I didn't get any exercise and all of that and I was stressed because we were growing so fast, keeping my arms all around. That was hard and I had an annual physical and the doctor said, here's the deal, Chuck. Uh, You love your business, I can tell, but you got to cut your hours down. You got to get some exercise. You got to quit smoking. You got to eat right or you'll die before you were 40. That didn't sound great to me. (laughs) So uh, I was able with that uh, to to change my lifestyle, but also to delegate more to the key people I had in the company. And guess what? When I delegated more, we grew more because they were smart people. They had great ideas, which they could carry out. And it gave me more time to think about other things to do to make us. So that valuable lesson that uh, in some time there in my mid-30s, uh, uh, born out of a threat of not surviving long,
0: uh, uh, caused me to be better at delegating. Well, so now in the military, you can't do it all by yourself. It's all about teamwork. So was, is it at that point that you realized you need to kind of borrow from your experience in the military? Um, uh, yeah. Or when, or when did that come into play? Well, the the military thing was just
1: uh all of ti th- all, all along i mean there was just uh... Um, I don't know how to explain it. The marine training is very, very good. It's hard, but it's very, very good. And people follow uh, orders, most of them without question, because of the training that is in, uh, in, ingrained in you. But you are also very have to be very disciplined yourself to uh, accept that. And I guess in the business world, at least initially, people didn't necessarily take orders uh, <laughs> uh, with, without maybe question. Them, so you know. <laughs> so was that? That
0: was a bit of a struggle then at first, huh?
1: Yeah. Well, well, of course, that happened in corporate America with people uh, uh, working working for me. But uh, you know what the military does for you? It uh, it gives you the the discipline to get up in the morning and. Uh, uh, get things done, you know, to have a schedule and you stick by it and you, you, you work hard and you, you get stuff done. Now in the military, there's a lot of hurry up and wait in the, in the business world. We never wanted that hurry up. We didn't want the wait time. We only wanted to hurry up, but yeah.
0: uh, <laughs> yeah, that's the truth. Okay. So you, you uh, sold two businesses, you built them to sell. I mean, how does that change your, I mean, obviously the first one, did you build that to sell or was your intent to keep it and just, Make it. Well, I all all along I never intended to.
1: To, to sell them you know that, that I think I would advise anybody working with me to have your exit plan in place before you even start your business but I didn't do that when I was a kid before going in the Marine Corps I was a motorhead so auto parts was kind of a natural thing in corporate America I was with an, an auto parts manufacturing company and yeah. and so that was all uh, so I'm going to have this auto parts store and then I'm going to have two then I'm going to have three and someday I'm going to have 20 and maybe when I you know Maybe when I'm as old as I am now, I'll, I'll, I'll sell them. That wasn't the intent. But uh, in getting into the distribution uh, part of that thing again, the, uh, where the, everything was the same. The dollars just got... Uh, you know, multiplied or, or magnified in what we were doing, but the, my intent was also to have that business uh, uh, long-term. It was fun. But then also at that time, I was old enough and smart enough. If you have something that you value at X and someone offers you
0: more than X, you ought to look real hard at selling it. So <laughs> so now the second one, did you, did you have the intention of selling that at some point since you'd had the experience of selling the first business?
1: Um, well, in... Yeah, kind of, but that really wasn't it. Along that was I, I did a franchise of that. It was International Golf, and it was a, a franchise. And okay. I wouldn't have done the franchise except to get the big golf brands. You had you would take you forever to get them as a total independent, but as a franchise, that you could immediately get accounts with Callaway and TaylorMade. And so Thailand it was to, a,
0: a smart shortcut to getting to where you wanted to be.
1: Exactly, you were buying speed to get to where you wanted to be, and and uh, uh, we became over time their largest. Uh, franchisee and at one time I had conversations with them about actually buying the franchise and becoming the franchisor and I think in looking at what's happened to the golf system or pro, uh, golf business since then I'm I'm thankful that we didn't work that out uh, it might have been a different end to my to my story because uh, uh, those people are basically gone now and there's big box stores are driving that business but anyway that's that's what I was aspiring to do build these stores up and and uh, and maybe become the franchise and have a bigger business and uh, and, and go on from uh, there. But
0: uh, so having had big teams and, and having you have a more of a thin team now, what's your preference and why? Uh, my my preference first
1: of all I think that you have to leverage. I'll say I'll make a two part answer, a political answer, I guess, is yeah, I'm go not going to answer the question. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> you uh, the more people you have working for you in one way or the other, the more you can leverage them. And as long as you are in control of your expenses, and there was certain, uh, in my businesses, there was certain formulas I had for how much payroll should be as a percentage of gross profit and sales and all of that but anyway uh so the more people you have if you can manage them and control them you can leverage that into a bigger business having a a, a team right now or I'm I'm basically working with the VAs the 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 plus of that is is I don't become involved in their personal lives you know and my distribution business would one time we had 125 people that's too many I had four um uh, big managers with big jobs uh, under underneath me and those people all reported to them but still you know that uh, you always were involved in someone having some issue and wanting to skirt around their manager and talk to you and um, uh, all of that people didn't show up which cause even in that large a business when people don't show up it causes other problems, and, yeah. and on and on, where with the VAs, it, it's, uh, uh, it's, they have an independent business of their own. If they don't perform, they know they're going to be let go, and so t- just, you know, that old cliche of
0: uh, uh, hire slow, fire fast uh, works out well there. Excellent. Well, I think that's some solid advice there. Now, you use technology in your business today. Um, where are you finding leverage in your business with technology? I, I need to get better at it, Ryan, and I'm, I'm, I'm working to it, but uh,
1: uh, the business is so much different now than it was 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30 years ago, uh, and you, you have to to uh, uh, have technology. I really believe in marketing that we have to have a, a multimedia strategy where we're leveraging technology and we're leveraging print, I mean, that the internet is basically a media, right? But right. we have several, several ways to use uh, it. Uh, use that and, and we need to uh, use it all. So we need to uh, leverage the, the, the tools out there, the, the Google AdWords or, or the pay-per-click that way, the, the Facebook and also the Facebook um, advertising. We need to leverage text messaging which you taught at our uh, Arizona Marketing Summit uh, all of those things. So I have Infusionsoft. Imagine a lot of your listeners have Infusionsoft or, or know of it. And I or know you should. should. Yeah, <laughs> I'm I'm just scratching the surface of what it can do. But of course, it does so many things. So it is my CRM, which you can have any, anywhere, of course. But it's also my, my my e-commerce site, because people can buy and and sell through that. And I will leverage that now with a text messaging uh, program. And uh, you know it. Uh, it niches my list for me so I can deliver a different message to a different um, type of audience that may be interested in in my business so I'm uh, extremely happy with that investment which I made at the last part of 2008 and seen them do nothing but get better and, and better and, uh, and I, I need to get better at it or my VA in Jacksonville is very good at it and she kinda brings me along
0: too. Well to that end you know, my mantra is always you want to find the right portion of infusion soft you need to be using and not worry about how much. Right. So every every business is unique in some aspect of where it is, where it is in terms of progression, development or what have you. And I'm sure you saw that with the businesses that you built and sold that, you know, at each stage there was a different need, a different demand on you as the business owner as well as on the business and your ability to grow was based on your ability to match with those changing demands in the development of the business. Uh, well that's true I mean I will shock your listeners
1: when I say that uh, uh, when I first bought that auto parts store it was not computerized and, and I had one of the first computer systems that was designed for an auto parts store uh, installed in that store it was called Triad was the name of that company, and then when I went out to the distribution center, we actually had a uh, computer room that must have been, you know, 15 by 15, housing this huge uh, uh, computer where we had programmers actually putting the card decks in to uh, program (laughs) it, and, of course, we... uh, uh, made changes to get out of that, and, and, uh, but it's amazing to me that the laptop that's sitting next to me had far more power than that first system I had in that, uh, well, that think, auto parts store.
0: <laughs> I think the phone in your pocket is many multiples of that. They You're say, probably right. <laughs> well, actually, they, they say that there are more transistors in your current iPhone or Android phone by a, a, like a, a magnitude of, I think it was 20, as your lap, Intel laptop from 1995. So wow. the, the the computing power has d- dramatically changed. But here's an interesting thing is um, there's a guy that, you know, I always recommend him to people who, if they want to think about things at a different level. That's a Dr. Goldratt. He wrote a book called The Goal. Are you familiar with The Goal? I, I am, yes. Okay, so he's got a number of different books that he's written and, and talks he's given. But he makes this point that technology can only bring like leveraged results if and only if it is applied to an area where we allow these like a new approach to happen so he uses this analogy of if you were born in the 1900 like 1901 then you're before the the automobile really was popular and the rule at that time was is if you were going to have a job you had to live within you know, uh, 10 miles of that job, because if you weren't within 10 miles, there's no way you could possibly get to the work and get back home in a timely fashion that made any sense to have that job or live in that, that home. And so if you got a job in a, a neighboring city, I mean, you had to move, right? Now, you fast forward to today, and I, where I'm from, originally is San Diego, and there are a ton of people that worked up in L.A., And lived in san diego and they'd make the two-hour drive up there but without the car that would have been impossible Um, now if you have that old rule of you have to live within 10 miles of wherever you work and you introduce the car but you don't change that old rule you don't get the real benefit of the new technology which is the vehicle right you have to change the rules to say now i can live anywhere within you know whatever your tolerance is for driving right right So if you don't change that rule, you don't get the benefit of the technology. So even though we have so much computing power today, I don't think enough people analyze what does this mean for my business now? What can I do now that I couldn't do before? And so if they make that analysis, then they start to get to a place where they can start to really get real leverage out of the business. So you start thinking about, well, how would I do things without this technology? And you identify and become aware of what are the limitations that are in place? And then you say, okay, now what limitations are evaporated by this new technology and how do we need to change the rules of how we run our business to allow this technology to really give us all the benefits that it could could give us? You know what I mean?
1: I do. You know, look at your business. I mean, without technology, you could not be an international business, right?
0: No, I mean, no, absolutely not.
1: Cause so the walls of the city or the or the walls of the neighborhood, you don't have those walls because of technology. The the world is your place, you know, so.
0: Yeah, it's and it's weird for me to think about that because, you know, if you would have told me, uh, you know, 10 years ago, oh, you're going to have an international business, I would have said that's impossible. How's that going to happen? Even with the Internet being there because you're not aware. how you can cross all those boundaries but today we have customers all over the world and it's sometimes it's surprising to me but i can reach those people too and that's where like going back to your point we're talking about how you have to become familiar with and use these various media channels and not get fixated on one right so i I see a lot of people get fixated on email today because it's inexpensive right basically free you pay your your, whoever's going to send those emails for you But we don't look at that as a per email cost. We say it's free. Um, Almost everybody seems to have an email address in the, you know, the developed world. So we think, well, we can communicate with people that way. And yet we stop there, you know. (laughs) And today more than ever, all these other channels have become easier and easier. Like uh, we have our send out cards integration. So I can literally send direct mail without even thinking about it. Like tell me when that was possible
1: well right yeah i mean that's a that's a perfect uh, uh example of of leveraging the internet into direct mail yeah because so,
0: you you I'm sure you did direct mail with your other businesses
1: i i, I did i've 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 always done it and uh, it amazes me now when you talk about email open rates declining on a on a monthly basis why so many people insist upon having that be their only uh media strategy uh it's and, like
0: that that There's that false belief that it's actually free, right? Because it's not free. There's a cost to every media that we use.
1: Well, that's right, and and you know we're being warned by some people looking out into the future that this is the, the the government, both fed, federal and state, are not going to allow this to be a free channel, and we'll figure out a way to, to tax commercial email anyway. So, we well, have something else going on,
0: <laughs> even if they don't. I I know that like Dan Kennedy, for example, he frequently cites that as you know that's coming, that's coming. Uh, to me, I think the the death of email for commercial purposes will come more from filters and intelligence to, to clean out marketing messages, then it's going to be the cost. And so it's it's dangerous to become reliant on any media. Like uh, we frequently hear stories about when fax broadcasts were very popular and then they were outlawed one day. Right, <laughs> And then right. people that were totally dependent on that suddenly were gone. Now, I don't think email is going to disappear. I don't think it's going to be regulated out or that even the taxation will be the, the death of it. I think... What we're already seeing is is the beginning of the end for email in terms of it, it's getting so crowded that even if nothing else happens, just the competition of attention in the inbox is, is already killing its effectiveness. So people have to start thinking today about how do I ex- expand my marketing to be more multimedia, to your point, um, now versus waiting until it's too late. We,
1: we need to... Uh to create a celebrity authority and an invincible um, look to our customers, for instance, that, that I, you know, we all get several hundred emails a day. So if I get one from you because I know I can trust you, I'll open that and read that. And and that's what, what you have to do is you have to have people will say, I, you know, Ryan always puts out good stuff. I want to see what he's doing. So there's probably 15 or 20 people that I will always look at their stuff. And then there's another – 500 people that I probably would never look at their stuff. I
0: I, I don't opt out necessarily, but let delete, 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 you know? Well, and uh, it's, sometimes we can do that through email, right? We can gain that trust, but I found more frequently you have to earn that in old, other media, to your point, right? So you become the author of a book, somehow get that book in front of that person, and now they're gonna look at your stuff. Or you get in front of them on Facebook or some other media channel, And that's where maybe you earn the trust and then that email becomes a leverage point. But when we just lean on the email alone, I think to your point, it just becomes a a delete opportunity. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, we get, uh,
1: and I know we all get deleted several hundred times a day. If we knew how much we would uh, probably feel bad. Well,
0: and that's another interesting point that I think we could explore a little bit here is when it comes to marketing, I know sometimes when people are new to marketing, they're thinking, okay, I'm going to identify the person who I want to target. So if they get that sophisticated that they recognize they have to target a specific type of person, right? Or a circumstance if they really get advanced. Um, there's almost this expectation that I pick up from people that they expect that hundred percent of those people ought to, you know, if they hear my message, they're going to reply. How do you help people deal with that, that reality well, I think there's uh, there, there's a couple things is that we have to explain
1: the facts to them. And, uh, you know, roughly when, when at any given time, no matter what your product is, there are about 4% of the people that are looking for that product right now. And then of the other 96%, about half of them have thought about that product and, and thought about maybe they should own it. And the other uh, percentage of them, whatever's left, another 48%, I guess, have no idea and no plans to ever having that product that's, that's, that's being sold. So we have to educate people in, in marketing. Your job is two-step. Is Yes, you want to sell something that 4%, but you need to get on your list and nurture that 48% who you try to change from being in the forty eight percent to the four percent because really in their case it's it's not a matter of no it's just not now and so you have to keep nurturing them along and then of course for the, the bottom forty eight percent we want to keep some kind of contact with them because they may come into the group that we'll see need for it later but it's setting expectations you know when you uh, it's it's frustrating to talk to people when you ask those those Key questions, do you know your numbers? It's always very frustrating to me. It's just, uh, you know, what's a, what's the first time value of your customer? What's the one-year value and what's the lifetime value? And if you get the deer in the headlights looks, you know they don't know those numbers. And you just got to say, if you don't know those numbers, how the hell do you know how much you can spend to get a customer?
0: Yeah, it, it's – and, it, you know, it, I try to be somewhat understanding, although sometimes I can forget to do that. Because at one point that's where I was. I didn't have a clue about, you know, any of these things. Like I didn't even think about the fact that I should know those numbers at all. If you would have said, well, what are your numbers? I would have said, uh, my, my birthday. What are you looking for? <laughs> yeah, or,
1: or last week we sold a thousand dollars worth.
0: <laughs> yeah. You know, so it, it it, everybody has to start somewhere. So, I mean, if those aren't numbers that you're familiar with, as you're listening to this podcast, you know, that's a good thing to find out because that helps you really to make a lot of these decisions. And then there's some strategies like for, for me, um, I always, and I probably said it on this podcast too many times, but I'll say it again, just in case this is your first and only listening, but, I I love basketball. I'm six seven, and I'm not the best player in the world, but I love to play, and I love the game. And one of the things that you, you learn as you become a little more sophisticated in basketball is that you cannot apply equal defense to every player. So there are five people on the court, and no matter who the five are, they're not all equal in terms of their ability to score uh, or to even defend. And so as a result... You can't apply an equal amount of defense to every single player on the court. You have to adjust your defense so that you play more aggressively on the person who is most likely to score and you, you let off because you have limited resources, right? You only got five guys to play defense. So it's not like you can say, well, we'll bring on a sixth guy and we'll put two on the best player. You can't do that. You only have five, which, which correlates with business. We only have a limited amount of resources that we can devote towards marketing. For any business it, even apple who just reported like astronomical profit which makes me wonder why they charge me so much for my phone but whatever <laughs> but they have a finite amount of resources now how they use them is up to them but for most small businesses we don't have so much that we can just spend wherever on whatever and so we actually have to start thinking about if i have this finite amount of resources to allocate towards my marketing do i allocate an equal portion to everybody or do as quickly as possible, try and determine who are the 4%, who are the 48% that are, are more likely, and then who are the 40% are less likely. And we allocate our resources, you know, disproportionately, according to indications we're getting from those prospects. And if we don't do that, then we're, we're doomed, we're going to lose because we can't possibly compete against the person who's intelligent enough to think about how can I go really multimedia with that 4% who have the highest likelihood of engaging in business with me spend a little bit less or you know a, a less proportion for the 48% who could become and are much more likely than the bottom 48% who are not likely to become and then spend proportionally you know what i mean send the email only to that bottom 48% but to that top 4% we better be going direct mail we better be getting a phone call to them we better be looking at how we can text them possibly as well as email, you know what I mean? I, I couldn't agree with you more. You know, it's
1: like uh, you, you picture a target and that 4% is the bullseye. And so that's what you're aiming for. And then, then to a lesser degree, there's rings going out from there and you would spend less money on each ring because of their likelihood to convert fast. We need to nurture them, but but we still need to, to sell to the people who are ready to buy now.
0: Well, so, and the reason I bring that up too, Chuck, is because for a lot of people who are listening here, they may have bought Infusionsoft, or they may be thinking about it and they've been pitched on it and one of the things that unfortunately is taught and it's good intention by infusion soft but it's taught that you know you have 100 people in and you're only getting 10 and 99 are dropping out or 90 are dropping out and you're not talking to them at all and so there's this impression that oh I'm supposed to go over that after that whole 90 and and go after them equally you know by keeping them in the funnel and keeping it tight but if we do that, then essentially what we're doing is we're following the old rules that were there when we had the autoresponder that could only send out emails, right? Right. So we're, and that's the part that frustrates me the most when I see people only sending email is they're, what they're essentially saying is, I've got this great tool that has the ability to let me go multimedia, but I'm going to use it just for email. And essentially what they've said is, I can only live within 10 miles of my job, even though I own this, uh, Hybrid car that can go 600 miles on taking gas, you know what I mean, and they can go you know 75 miles an hour on the freeway. So they're essentially saying, I've got this technology, but I'm going to follow the old rules I used to follow when I could only send out one email at a time over a linear uh you know pattern that would be you know timed at okay on the fifth day they get this, on the eighth day they get this, and then get frustrated that you don't get the results that you hear other people getting because you're basically taking this wonderful opportunity and you're using it as though it were an ancient piece of of technology
1: yeah you know and and infusionsoft is is smart enough quote unquote to uh, to let you know who is opening your emails so you know who the, who is paying attention to you so if they're opening and but, but not converting it's it's a it, it tells you who then to send the letter to, who to send the postcard to, who to send the send-out card uh, to by someone who's obviously raised their head saying there's someone interested, but your email hasn't converted them, so you come back around the corner and and take what Infusionsoft tells you to do, tells you who they are, and send uh, another media to them
0: uh, to try to, to, to get them to go to the next step and buy. So if I were to bring this full circle, this is why I say if you're not already attending, some sort of marketing meeting like the one that, that chuck hosts you need to find one and it's worth the drive even if it's a two-hour drive going back to our little analogy because what you're going to be exposed to are these different ideas on how you can be thinking about reaching your customers and maybe before you heard our conversation here you'd never considered the fact that you shouldn't be marketing to every prospect equally and you shouldn't you know but if you hadn't been to a meeting like Chuck's you wouldn't know what are your alternatives you know what are the different things I could be doing besides email because Chuck and I you know you, we've been talking about things that could be done very briefly but in meetings like the one you hold people you're able to go more in depth on each of these different medias and approaches and you know how do we make sure we word things in a way that gets their attention and you know, what do we put into a video? What what do we put into a, a Facebook ad? What do we put into, you know, Google pay-per-click? So these kinds of things, the things they're getting exposed to on a monthly basis at a meeting like yours. So if you're in Arizona, I would say you definitely need to find a way to get to, to Chuck's meeting. If you're not in Arizona, um, what would you recommend? Well, I, you know, for one thing, like you said, you came in through a GKIC
1: chapter. I think I might go to uh, uh, to DanKennedy.com and search out your area and see if there's a local independent business advisor, and reach out and see if they're uh, um, uh, having a a meeting now to uh, promote my own business. Is all my uh, we call them marketing summits, which take place on the second Wednesday of each month, but they're all both audio and video recorded, so you can get that content. I have members in six states and Canada and Australia. Oh, okay, people, great. And people say, well, you know, why the heck would someone in Oregon or Canada uh, um, belong to your association? Well, they get the education, and, you know, the stuff just doesn't work in Arizona. It just happens to work in Oregon and Canada, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, most of it in Canada. Most of it. So, so that's but first of all, nothing like a live meeting because, as you said, when like when you spoke the night you spoke at my summit, that that caused conversation amongst people in the room, and some of people were doing things that others weren't, and they got a chance to ferret all of that out. And that's what happens is you're on other entrepreneurs, and you you some of them are doing things you aren't doing, and you get to ask them. It's not just the person at the front of the room, but you get to ask people who are implementing those same strategies on a daily basis, how they're doing it and what's going on and, and all of that. So
0: um, um, that's, why I, than- that's why I, I love the live meeting. Um, I was fortunate enough to have Travis take me to, you know, the super conference, for example, uh, early on in my association with uh, his marketing chapter. And that had a huge impact on me because I was able to see For me, it was, I saw a bunch of people who were doing amazing things and then realizing they're really not that much smarter than me. So I could do this too.
1: You know, Ryan, that uh, I just wrote in my newsletter column that will be going out in my February newsletter about I'm challenging everybody uh, to go to some kind of regional or national event in 2015 to get that exposure. And I know that you have one coming up in, uh, in, in March in San Diego, and I'm sure that you've you know, I know you're putting it out there and promoting it, but for any of you who are on the, the, the fence to do that, as for just what we were talking about, you need to go. Maybe you can't afford to go to the GKIC Super Conference in Minneapolis this year, but you live in Arizona or California or uh, s- someplace close by, you can certainly drive to San Diego and go to Ryan's events. But because besides what he's going to educate you on, you're going to have a whole group of people who are in business that you can draw from while yeah. you're there.
0: And that, for me, is the most powerful part. I mean, th- there's great conversation starters that happen from the education that happens at those types of events. And I can tell you for our event, you know, we're, we're very meticulous about thinking about what we should be bringing to people that will really help them, just as I know you are, Chuck, for each of your summits. And the content will spark conversations with the quality of people that are in the room that will change everything for you. I remember um, being at icon um one of the the early ones that i went to the first one i went to and i was talking talking with a friend of mine uh dan bradbury who's out of england and yeah i said well what's the number one thing you're using in fusion soft that's like you couldn't do without and he said trackable links and i said what's that And know this was like a year in you <laughs> know we'd already done 1. <laughs> 1. 1.3 million with the you know the, our information marketing business through that but i hadn't even used the trackable link and that just opened up whole new doors in terms of information for me to better understand who we are marketing to and how they're responding to things but I, that never would have happened had i not been in the conversation with, with somebody at that event where those ideas were coming up and so i i did get some interesting information i don't know if you knew this chuck but the direction that icon which is infusionsoft's annual conference is going is they're actually going to be talking very little about the software this starting this year And they're going to be spending a lot more time talking just about entrepreneurship, marketing, those kinds of things, and very, very little uh, on the software. And it'll be even less the next year. So it was kind of interesting to find that out. So they're making it less about the software and more about just the small business owner. I think that's smart on their behalf. I really do. I think it opens up a, a larger audience for them. But I think some people who have gotten used to going to Icon to get educated on the software are going to be a little bit disappointed <laughs> if that was their game plan because they're not going to get quite what they they thought they might have gotten. So in that case, you pr- you definitely want to put uh, March 12th and 13th on your calendar to be in San Diego because we will be teaching you how to better use the software. <laughs> <laughs> well, very good, Chuck. This has been a pleasure. Now I always like to end the the podcast interview with a question, and that question is: What is that success principle to which you attribute your? Success in business. Well, the simple, simple one-word
1: answer is work. I mean, to be successful, you really have to work. It really helps if you, uh, if you love it. But uh, uh, and I and I call work. I mean, work is getting your education. About you need to be reading books. You need to be listening to podcasts. You need to be doing things that make you think. You also need to set a set of time. It's also work to set a time for yourself to think. But of course, you know, it's it's a matter of you have all these ideas, so you're sending out your emails. Will you do the work to find out who you should be sending a postcard to? You will do the work on who you should be sending a send out card to. Will you actually implement those things? So so a work is a big a big topic, but it, it but it definitely includes education and action and implementation.
0: Yeah, it's so sad for me to see people who think that there's a, a shortcut. But I just haven't found it with anybody I've seen that's successful. There is no shortcut. Ultimately, rubber has to hit the road. And you've got to be turning that crank to make it happen.
1: <laughs> you know, Dan Kennedy's got a quote in there someplace that's along the lines of, uh, uh, show me somebody that uh, says they have a lot of money and they don't
0: work, and I'll show you a liar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's the truth. I mean, We even see it today if you guys are looking at internet marketing and you see the people who talk about, you know, this amazing money with seemingly little effort. If you look at what they're actually doing (laughs) to sell you that idea, you'll recognize that they're working their tails off to be able to, you know, show you how to work nothing you know little or nothing and get sure. big money
1: <laughs> they may be in their underwear at the kitchen table but they're working that their butt off in their underwear you know? <laughs> <laughs>
0: well thank you so much this has been a real pleasure it's uh, as always i've learned a lot and uh i just appreciate you sharing your wisdom from all oh, your thank students. you very much
1: for having me i uh, uh i enjoy conversation with you and i love business so i enjoy talking about it so thank you for having me
0: my pleasure